Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, what a weekend of tennis we have just witnessed all over Europe, all over the world, in fact, because the Fed Cup has been in full flourish. Monte Carlo has come and gone as well. We're going to be covering everything in this edition of the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Myself, David Law, a little bit later, Catherine Whitaker will join us to talk about Monte Carlo. But Grad Matt and myself right now are standing outside a place known as the Copper Box in London, which was a, an Olympic venue uh, for the 2012 Olympics. And this weekend has played host to Great Britain against Kazakhstan in a World Group 2 play off for the Fed Cup. Doesn't sound that big a deal, I'm sure, to those of you that are not from Great Britain, but for us, who've been waiting for 26 years to get into a world group of any sort in this competition, it's a huge deal, and it has been sealed by Great Britain winning through by three rubbers to one in the end, courtesy of fantastic performances from Katie Bolter and Johanna Conter, the Great Britain number one. We'll also talk about the semi-finals in the Fed Cup World Group this year, which have also produced some incredible moments. But first of all, Matt, what have you thought of your first Fed Cup weekend in, in the flesh? Yeah, superb. Uh, I always get this feeling whenever I'm at a Davis Cup, like I've been to before, and now Fed Cup, that you know this this might be the best version of tennis really you can't you can't replicate the energy and the amount people care about it elsewhere and you know we're in the we're in the olympic park and there was a little bit of that kind of olympic 2012 spirit about the place today you know just just so many people willing them on and um yeah it was it was just a whole lot of fun and really dramatic tennis as well which which we'll get into yeah it, it really was dramatic before we talk about uh, britain against kazakhstan let's just go over those uh, those semi-finals in the world group proper because it, it all happened overnight for us in australia against belarus and frankly just about everything happened that you could imagine happening because all the top players played and it was an absolute toe-to-toe slugfest between Ash Barty and her partner Sam Stosa, Victoria Azarenka and uh, uh, Arena Sabalenka. And eventually it was Australia. 
that one through. What, what was the story of it from, from, what you're, from what you can remember, Matt? Because my brain's a bit scrambled <laughs> after, after seven hours of commentary per day here for BT Sport. Yeah, well, first of all, it was, it was really nice to see all the top players playing because obviously, you know, uh, Azarenka and Savalenka have had to go all the way over to Australia and then they're probably coming back for European events. Um, so it was really great that they were there. And I think when you get all the top players playing, you tend to get a really good tie. And it kind of followed the script a little bit with Barty winning uh, two of her, both of her singles and Azarenka and Sabalenka both managing to beat Sam Stozer. And then it all sort of culminated in a fantastic doubles match um, where Australia took the first set, Belarus fought back, and then finally Barty and um, Stozer clinched victory in the in the final set and they will now host the Fed Cup final Australia so the Fed Cup final will be in Australia in November and actually I I find it particularly impressive from from Sam Stosa that she managed to to win through in the doubles after suffering a 6-1-6-1 demolition at the hands of Victoria Azarenka today I mean that that takes some doing doesn't it it does and I mean, she's got the most experience of all the players in the Australia team. And it's, and it's quite telling, I think, that she was selected to play that, that final rubber, having just had that demolition. You know, they, it really shows that they do trust her experience and also her chemistry with uh, Ash Barty. Yeah, that, that matters. Uh, I saw some of the highlights uh, of the match and, crikey, what a great atmosphere. Some of the rallies were just extraordinary. And this competition just delivers uh, on every level, these team competitions. And it does make you feel when you're watching them, why on earth are we changing it all? And yet at the same time, some form of change feels like it's required, as we've discussed in, in regard to Davis Cup. And... Still, let's enjoy it as it is for now. We don't exactly know what it will look like in 2020. The other semi-final, I think, is still going on as we come to you. I'll, I'll, I'll touch on it with, uh, with Catherine at the end of this show. But uh, where are we at the moment? Yeah, France and Romania are in a decisive fifth rubber, doubles. Uh, it's Garcia and Mladenovic against uh, Simona Halep and Monica Nicolescu. Yeah. And Halep's won both of her singles and been just again you know we've I think we've spoken about on the podcast she seems determined to win this Fed Cup um, and she's won both of her matches including a near three hour match against Caroline Garcia Um, so yeah that that one's been superb as well and I just wanted to say one more thing about Ash Barty actually that's just come to me the fact that she as I saw on Courtney Nguyen said on Twitter she's the only player male or female in the top 10 now in singles and doubles wow which is extraordinary yeah and And getting better getting better exactly Uh, it's something that struck me today watching the British pair particularly Katie Bolter today just getting new experiences all the time and that's what Barty's getting isn't it Mm. getting into the Fed Cup final here winning in Miami you know the, the it feels like this isn't the end of her her rise that 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 she's going to keep on ticking things off in Mm. her in her cv and goodness knows where it'll end i suspect it may well end with a grand slam final and maybe even a title at some point so this weekend in britain um it saw yulia patintseva and her her compatriot zarina diaz taking on british 
uh, pair, Johanna Konta and Katie Bolter, and every single match went the distance. I mean, we, on day one, it was Konta a set behind and seemingly really under the gun because of the Kazakh brass band that they brought with them. She, I mean, it really took her by surprise. It seemed to take everybody by surprise. This incredible band led by, I, I was reading, uh, a seriously talented trumpeteer uh, who they've paid to come over and who was just make, making fun of the British team with his trumpet playing every time they made, made an error. Yeah, he had these sort of ironic interjections, didn't he? Sort of... Like a cartoon from the 80s. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and and he was supported by, as you said, some some guy who my research tells me was wearing a chapan, which is a sort of Kazakh, kind of like a dressing gown and a fancy hat and, and sunglasses, which I thought was a nice touch as well. Um, and he was really beating that drum. And quite quite amusing today that the British fans they'd kind of realised that the drum was making a lot of noise and some of them had actually gone out to buy a drum, but they didn't make anywhere near the amount of noise that he was able to make with his huge stick with it as well. Um, and, yeah, it really did rattle Joe Conter in that, in that first rubber. And she, she, she said impressed that, you know, this is the competition where you need to adjust the most. And it's fascinating with Joe Conter because, for me... She's not someone that I would necessarily think is kind of flexible and malleable in that way. She's, she's almost a bit robotic, and yet she's got this Fed Cup record, which is so impressive. I think she's now 18 wins and seven losses. And maybe there's something to be, had, to be said for it amid all the sort of madness of the Fed Cup. Her calmness and kind of single-mindedness does actually work. She's not doing a lot of talking with Anki Othwong on the bench. She's kind of just playing a normal match and eventually she's able to kind of block out those extra elements and we saw with her second match today how she can channel it and just play amazingly well. I, I found that extraordinary. She, she was one four down, double break behind to dig today against Yulia Putinseva who herself came back from love four down and three match points down yesterday. I mean, this is what every tie felt like it was like today. There were, there were extreme comebacks in every match and today, Conta, there was a point where... There was a cross-court forehand and an acute angle from Putintseva, which would have put her 5-1 ahead in the, in the deciding set. And Conta moves to her right and smashed this forehand into the posted stamp corner of the court. From outside the tram line, she had to go over the, over the post of the net. And she made it. And from there on, she managed to claw her way back and win the match. And, and I agree with you. I, I, I don't think maybe we give her enough credit for the, her ability to cope despite the fact that she's under extreme pressure. I think too often probably our narrative is, oh, Conta's losing it because she's getting stressed and, you know, you can see the panic come over her face, etc., etc., which is a part of her, her makeup. It's a part that I think increasingly she's just accepted and taken on the chin and decided, right, well, I need to find my own way of handling it. And it's, it's not for us, it's not for anybody on the outside to judge how she is, how she should be. This is just the way it is. And and I think a lot of credit needs to be given to her for finding a way to still produce results, despite the fact that she she goes through that. Yeah, and because the the kind of character you would normally associate with someone who thrives in Fed Cup would be that of Yulia Putintseva, and she does thrive, but Conta manages to do it by being different. And, you know, it's not one size fits all, and... 
And I thought she said something remarkable on the court where she said, you know, how when she was down in that final set, as you mentioned, she managed to focus on the good things she had been doing. And to keep that perspective when all that was going on around her, I thought was, was really incredible. And, I mean, she's had some, you know, some unbelievable results in her career, but I'm struggling to recall a time where she produced a sort of flurry of shot-making like that um, to wrestle a match from someone because Putin Saver wasn't, wasn't going to hand that match to her. She had to take it, and she stepped up. One of the magnificent little sideshows that was going on during this match as well was the brass band that we mentioned earlier that was getting so under the British team's skin on day one suddenly started to get in under Yulia Putintseva's own skin and she was basically telling and ordering her, her, her band to shut up because it's giving me a headache. <laughs> I mean, isn't it? You couldn't make it up, could you? And it just shows you the stress the players are under. And again, I'm... I'm I'm always try- a bit wary about being critical of players too much, et cetera, et cetera. I think, I mean, and, I'm, and I fall into the trap from time to time as well because it's so easy to underestimate the stress that these players are under. It's self-inflicted a lot of it because it, it matters to them so much and particularly in a team environment. Um, and I thought both teams just come out with an awful amount of credit as a result of that. Yeah, there was there was someone in in front of me wearing little earplugs actually throughout the whole tie. <laughs> he'd he'd had enough of the drum as well. And and the thing about Contra as well is her being such an established player has really given the Fed Cup team momentum. And you know, it's it's well documented that before this tie Britain had lost four four playoff ties in the last seven years um and in the last two of those Conta was you know was the number one and you know it's it's down to her that in the last few years we've been in this position so regularly and the little difference maker that was needed perhaps was Katie Bolter who seems to be someone who you know is is looks set to kind of join a long list of players who rise to the occasion in yeah. Fed Cup. She looks made for this. It really she looks born to it, doesn't she? And and born to the big stage generally because and let's not forget yesterday as a, as I referenced she she was fall of her head. She she had a bit of a back niggle in the second set against Yulia Putintseva yesterday. And then in the third set she managed to get herself a fall of lead with some just wondrous hitting um really taking the ball on we often hear about her big serve and her forehand but it was her backhand doing the damage a lot of the time yesterday i mean for for people over who who aren't british who are thinking well who's katie bolter well she's 86 in the world 22 years of age she she missed a year because of a fatigue issue stopped to practicing stopped to playing and and she's catching up now and, and I, I do feel physically she still is somebody that is going to continually have to monitor her own physical health because even after the the fed cup zonal ties in bath where she won four out of four in four days she then really struggled in acapulco and indian wells and miami she had a virus she had i think food poisoning and, and barely won a match um but here she came out from what Laura Robson, my co-commentator, was saying, not in the greatest of form. She didn't feel in practice this week as though she was really feeling the ball that well. And then suddenly the adrenaline gets pumping and she just finds a way to start playing some big-time tennis. But at the same time, what, what really struck me was that she came out today having had three match points yesterday, admitting she was devastated that she didn't take them yesterday, 
probably was up all night thinking about it and still came out today and put it all right for herself and, and carried Britain in the end over the over the finish line at the at the at the climax. Yeah, and she was a set and a breakdown today and fought back and as you said, those those match points must have been weighing on her mind today. And she just said, impressed that she said, kind of joking, but she did have a bit of a sleepless night last night. And you know, she was in a completely new situation there of of having the tie in her hands and being the one to be able to deliver it. That's that's arguably more of a pressure than having to save the tie. Um, and yeah, again, she, it was her tennis that won the match. She imposed herself, and it would have been difficult because you know she'd known that she played so well against Putinseva but not managed to win. And then she had two match points here against DS, and she didn't convert. So she had five match points over the weekend that she'd not been able to take. And you're thinking, you know, if she, if she does lose this game, you've seen it happen where someone can stage a comeback, and she sealed it with an ace, which is perfect. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I I think it's it's quite exciting for British tennis in that regard that uh, they found a player in Bolter who who rises to the big occasion. She came out onto the court today with a big smile on her face. She she loved it and she went for it and she found the big strokes when she needed them. Um, and as you say, dug herself out of deep trouble looked as though there was no chance she was going to win today and yet she did um and yes britain now into world group two for next year at least on paper however there is the small matter of the competition quite possibly changing for next year so there's talk of a 12 team world group a single world team group played over a week a little bit like the Davis Cup finals is going to be at the end of the year this year um, and the two eight team world groups that they currently have no longer being in operation so exactly where that leaves Britain one would assume in the world group that's what Russell Fuller had been reporting he expects that to happen um, but it's it's all up in the air which is a pretty unsatisfactory situation to be going into a tie like this and still not knowing what's what the outcome is going to be for next year it is. I suppose we we know it will probably look something like the new Davis Cup. That will be the the ITF's intention anyway. Um, but even so, I think it's really significant that Britain won this tie. I think you know there, there was always a chance that maybe if they lost the tie and the change happened, they would still have had a chance to get into the World Group through some sort of playoff. But the fact that they did it, they won it here overcoming that hurdle that they've slipped up at in the last few years I think is really significant and we've seen with Davis Cup that Cam Norrie's ranking has improved since he had his burst in Davis Cup last year and it is the kind of competition that can have that effect on players for the rest of the year. Yeah, it is. And I think you saw as well in the press conference afterwards where all the players and, and Anne Kiyotovong, the captain, attended. She was just not having that discussion right now. She couldn't entertain the idea uh, that this might not mean that much at this point. She was so pleased and relieved, I think, to have, have got the win because I think this just means an awful lot to that team that have fallen just short a number of times that they got this win, it's ticked off, it's, it's put to bed, uh, and Britain are back in the world group of the Fed Cup. So congratulations to uh, the British team. Bad luck to, to Kazakhstan, who I think were fantastic 
this weekend. I really enjoyed watching them. I really enjoyed their their brass band. I thought, I personally thought, apart from the odd shout out during a point on day one, they were immaculately behaved, and I think they they really brought something to this this environment. Oh, they did, and. The standout player was Putin Saver, as we kind of thought she would be. And I, I did particularly enjoy her bicep kissing celebration yesterday. I've never seen one quite like that. Superb. <laughs> I just think, you know, what's that expression? It's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. And that kind of applies to Putin Saver, isn't it? She's, she's five foot four, and yet she brings her tennis to bear on all these other people. And. She's the sort of person you want in your team. Okay, she she was on the losing team, but she's great. She really yeah. is great. Yeah, I, I personally love watching her. Uh, and I think as Laura Robson was saying to me, yeah, you know what? She's brilliant to watch. She's a nightmare to play. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I could imagine feeling exactly like that. And also just a word on the venue. I thought they got it bang on. The sort of, I'm always going on on the podcast about size of tennis venues and I think you can be too big and noise can be lost and atmosphere can be lost it can be too small and it can almost feel a bit inconsequential this which was a capacity of near 6,000 was perfect and the the noise much of it from Kazakhstan fans stayed in and I really liked how they how fans were able to kind of loiter in on the balcony kind of in between the two tiers which just brought this kind of relaxed vibe to it so often you get a tennis where you know, you see empty seats and empty stadiums because people leave their seat and they're not allowed back in. Well, here you were allowed back in on this. You were able to kind of loiter, and it just it just added to the atmosphere, and it was it just added a really good vibe to it. It did, it did. So that is the Fed Cup. I think I need to go and have a lie down, Matt, before I speak to Catherine about Monte Carlo. But anyway, we'll, so we'll go and have a quick beer, uh, and then I'll, and then we'll we'll have a chat about Monte Carlo because uh, Catherine Whitaker's waiting to talk to us. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Hello, Catherine. Hello, David. How you doing? You sound like you're outside soaking up the sunshine. The glorious, glorious sunshine. Yeah, I can feel the vitamin D being absorbed into my cells as we speak. It's awesome. Wo- it's wonderful. That sounds fantastic. How do I do that? <laughs> it's it's, the, it's outside, the outdoors, the David, yeah. Yes. Okay, I'll get out of my hotel room then. Uh, we will be back together next week, but for now we are in separate parts of London. We don't have the time to, to get together today, but we are here on the Tennis Podcast to talk Monte Carlo, having gone over the, the Fed Cup, which was brilliant, Catherine. The one problem about you and I working uh, for separate broadcasters when there are two big events on is I don't know too much about what went on at Monte Carlo, uh, and I'm, I, I imagine you were unable to follow too much of what went on in Fed Cup. How, how has your last few days been? Well, it's been great. I have been able to follow quite a bit of Fed Cup. I've done a lot of watching um, the Fed Cup tight, the copper box, including your marvellous commentary, David, on my phone in cars to and from the um, studio, uh, our prime video studio, where we've been covering uh, Monte Carlo. So actually, I feel I feel like I was able to partake in the joys of, uh, of what happened at the Copper Box over the weekend. But obviously, obviously, David, my main uh, my main focus has been Monte Carlo. But yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm glad I don't feel um, detached or, um, from uh, what happened at the Fed Cup. I'm glad I, I do feel like I, I tasted at least. A morsel of that because it looked it looked delicious, David. It looked wonderful. Yeah, it was it was great. But I tell you, I am fascinated to hear your version of events of Monte Carlo because certainly the last two days, the weekend, I really haven't been able to follow it very closely because I've been doing seven or eight hours commentary a day. Wonderful as it was, but so much has happened in Monte Carlo. I mean. Where do you start? I, th- I kind of, I kind of feel like we should start with the guy who's just won it and the the surprise finalists because I wasn't. I don't think I'd have been putting any money on Fabio Fanini winning the title by beating Dusan Lajevic. <laughs> yeah, um, well, Fabio Fanini before the final said that if he told me at the start of the week I was going to be in the final, I'd have laughed in your face. <laughs> so what his reaction would have been if uh, <laughs> if you told him he was going to win the thing? Um, I, I I can only dread to think when it comes to Fabio Fanini, who, look, I, I don't want to uh, to airbrush the man. He has some ragged edges of which I uh, I very much disapproved in in the past. I can't, you know, I can't, and we shouldn't forget some of his past indiscretions. Um, but I do love to watch him play tennis, David. <laughs> I really, really do. And I'm now wondering why on earth he didn't come up in our most talented tennis players not to win a major title discussion. It now feels well, pro- like... Probably he's been nowhere, has he, for, for, the, for a few weeks. I think that that's he, this year he's done nothing. He was on a five-match right. losing streak coming into Monte Carlo. He just, you know, he's, he's like Nick Kyrgios, isn't he? He just switches it on out of nowhere. He was in his first match of the week he was uh 4-1 down a set and 4-1 down uh, with a point to go 5-1 down to Andre Rublev and he served an ace on that point um and it sort of all started there um of course the 
with with all due respect to to Dusan Lajovic, um, obviously the crowning moment of Fanini's week was beating Nadal in the semi-finals. Um, but he's beaten Nadal three times before, twice on clay, and he'd never backed up that victory. He'd never gone on to win the next match. Um, and I have to say, I was expecting a dip from Fanini in the final. I was expecting the a mental letdown of some sort. Um, and uh, despite the fact that about eight of his uh, body parts were held together by tape <laughs> and medication of various sorts, um, he he uh, it, it, quite the opposite. He rose to the occasion, and he was really emotional, Dave. And I love seeing that. I loved seeing him show how much he cared about it because sometimes it's looked like Fabio Fanini hasn't cared all that much. He's he's. Yeah, he's 31. He's the oldest ever champion in Monte Carlo. Um, and I wonder if maybe the the best is yet to come from Fabio Fanini. I just wonder, David, if he could... I, I'm not saying he's going to win a Grand Slam or he's going to be top five, but if he could just get consistent enough to qualify for the Tour Finals, I think that would be blooming brilliant. I would love to see him at the O2 later this year wouldn't you mm. uh, I, I would but I kind of feel like the bigger possibility and maybe the more exciting possibility is if he were able to package a week like this over two weeks and because he he is capable of going all the way to a final isn't he uh, I mean he's with capable his of doing anything set. with his talent he, he is really yeah. I mean it, it is it's obscene his level of talent, um, absolutely just mind-boggling. It's annoying how easy he makes it look. He, uh, it, I mean, you know, and for that reason, there are comparisons with Nick Kyrgios. The way he's able to just sort of swipe away at the ball in a, in a dismissive fashion, how, how easy timing a tennis ball looks to him. He can take the ball so early and make that look like the easiest thing in the world. And that's... That's part of why he dealt with Nadal so well. He didn't let those those heavily topspun balls rear up on him because he stood up to the baseline and he took them so early. Um, and mm. he's got the variety, you know, his drop shots are to die for. And he is, he is so quick. He is absolutely lightning quick, despite, as I said, David, I mean, in the... In the was it the semi-finals against Nadal or was it the previous? I think it was the quarterfinals actually against Borna Choric on Friday. He had, he came onto the court with his foot and his foot um, strapped up with kinesio tape on his calf, um, and then he requested eye drops. Uh, I think in the first set it was quite windy, so I guess the um, the, the dust, the clay, bits of clay were getting in his eyes. Uh, and then he had two separate applications of strapping <laughs> to his racket arm. And uh, honestly, David, he looked like Mr Bump. It was extraordinary thinking, <laughs> there is just no way this bloke can win a tennis match unless someone brings out some crutches or a wheelchair for him. And yet he goes on to win that one. He, uh, he comes out against Nadal pretty much unstrapped which I found quite interesting because I thought that was a sort of mental battle you know you just you you, you, you if you see a bloke walk out onto court against Rafael Nadal and they've got their racket arm strapped you know that's that's your sort of game over right there isn't it and then yeah in the final 
Oh, goodness, David. He uh, he did his hamstring. He did his calf. He had to have his foot re-strapped. Um, uh, he, he, and yet, and yet he was magnificent. It didn't seem to... And he won 6-3, 6-4. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, straight sets. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was... He was um, he was brilliant, and 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 it, it's kind of more his home tournament Monte Carlo than Roma's because he he was born uh, just near San Marino, born and I believe still lives just down the road um, uh, in a little town just outside San Remo, which is twenty minutes away. So he was he was bussing in all his friends and family every day, and it it did feel like um, an Italian crowd, particularly. Well, actually, do you know what during that semi final? Uh, against Nadal, Fabio Fanini had the majority of the support, even in that second set, David, when it looked like for a few minutes there, Nadal was going to lose a six-love set on clay. It really looked like that was going to happen. And But for some Fabio Fanini nerves, I think that would have happened. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was five-love, wasn't it? And, and I remember I was sitting in the commentary box, in the copper box, with... Annabelle Croft and I showed her the the live scores six four five love and we were just sort of staring at this this screen as if it, if it must have a malfunction or something and and uh, and it, it got back to five two, didn't it? I mean, just on the subject of, of Nadal quickly, did did he seem short of his best? Oh to, yes. to have a scoreline like that. Oh yes, he was. He was, and um, look, Fanini was brilliant, and it, I always find it difficult to um in a match like that to divide up how much to attribute to one player's brilliance and how much to attribute to the other players being subpar because the two things are not independent of one another um I think Nadal gave Fanini the opportunity to be brilliant, and Fanini gave Nadal no opportunity to to gain a foothold in the match, but I think the alarm bells really run rung to be honest with you, David, in the quarterfinals when Nadal really struggled to win the first set against Guido Pella. Um, and again, all due respect to Guido Pella, who's having a heck of a year, he's getting some of his best results and he's really pushing his ranking up. But Guido Pella should not be winning the first three Nadal service games on clay. That that should not be happening, even Guido Pella at his best. Um, so that really... And yeah, Nadal fought through that. And in the end, the... The conversation after that match was all about the the fighting spirit of Nadal to fight through, even though things weren't going his way. But I did, I mean, I'm going to sound like a total Cassandra now, but I did have an asterisk after that match. I really did. I just don't think Nadal, at his best, is remotely troubled by Guido Pella, even a brilliant Guido Pella. Um, but that's not to say I was expecting a straight sets defeat to Fabio Fanini in the next round. He said it was his worst clay court match in 14 years, David. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. He he, um, he was gutted and worried. His brow was furrowed. He was really searching. He was really soul searching after that match, and he didn't say he didn't say he was injured. What he seemed to be implying was that a series of injuries um, had prevented him from training as he would like, um, playing matches as he would like, getting into getting into the groove that he wants to be in. It's sort of more of a a cumulative sort of effect rather than a simplistic sort of. Well, I'm not physically right. I think he feels. 
undercooked in a really, really big way. Um, and I think he needs a bit of luck, David. I think he needs a bit of luck in Barcelona this week to to get find that groove somehow. But I I am worried. about Why would he need luck to find the groove? This is a guy who's won all of these events, what, 10 times well, because, each? Why, why would he need luck? Well, because, look, if he'd shown up in that semi-final uh, and Fabio Fanini hadn't been on form, Nadal still would have won. And he'd probably still have beaten Dusan Lajovic in the final because um, Dusan Lajovic didn't, you know, he he didn't play his best tennis in the final, David. I think he wanted it too much. He was too aware of what a big moment it was that was his first ever ATP final <laughs> and it was uh, at a Masters 1000 so uh, you know had he played bad Fabio in the semi-finals which is entirely plausible you never know what you're going to get with Fabio Fanini he'd probably still have been good enough to win and I think he probably would have won the final against Dusan Lajovic and we'd all be saying not quite Rafa at his best but you know he does it, it, he doesn't need to be at his best because he's so darn good on clay and we'd all be sort of sweeping under the carpet a bit the um the the the, the warning signs um so yeah a bit of luck from that perspective um so that he could find his rhythm yeah. and his form in a longer sort of space yeah. of time i think he needs to get on a roll um start feeling mm. confident I, I think the wind didn't help either it was really windy in monte carlo that really prevented him getting into any kind of groove um but then, I don't know. I don't know how much that knee is bothering him. But to be clear, David, I am not writing him off. He is still my favourite no. for the French Open. But equally, I'm not saying this was a one-off bad week in a vacuum. And Rafael Nadal isn't saying that either. I think something needs to change for, for him to become the Rafael Nadal that we saw on clay last year. So if we're not saying it about Nadal yet, in terms of concern, are we saying it about Novak Djokovic, given that he's now lost pretty early at Indian Wells, Miami, and now Monte Carlo by his standards? He lost out to Daniel Medvedev. Uh, first round, in fact, Djokovic almost lost as well, I seem to remember, uh, in his first match. I can't remember who he was Cole playing Schreiber. in one. Cole Schreiber, three Cole Schreiber, sets. Yeah. 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 Who, who had beaten him, hadn't he, in, uh, in Indian Wells. And then... And then we had a very straightforward next round against Taylor Fritz uh, of the United States. And then it was Daniel Medvedev, who, who often feels like lanky Novak, you know, a guy who just sort of has that beautiful timing and flat hits. And, and uh, well, he beat him at his own game in the end, didn't he? But he, he did it in three sets. What, what was Novak Djokovic saying? What was your feeling about it all? He didn't say an awful lot. He, he was very similar to how he was after he lost uh, in Indian Wells in Miami. Um, you know, just sort of saying, oh, he played better than me today. Well done. No other, you know, no sort of bigger picture comments or conclusions to be drawn. I am a bit worried about Novak Djokovic. I, a couple of things and... and uh, Daniela Hantikova is always very interesting on Djokovic. I think she has, I mean, firstly, she, she knows his coach, Marion Vida, really well. But also, I think being from Eastern Europe and she seems to just sort of understand him in a way that that 
perhaps we all don't. You know, he's he's. You asked the question, Gianco Tipsarovic, didn't you? You know, we don't necessarily all feel like we know Novak Djokovic really and he doesn't sort of let us in he he does have a sometimes a, a persona that he wants us to see which we don't always feel is the authentic Novak I'd like I'd like to to know him better but I I always feel like she she just gets him in a way that the the general wider tennis world doesn't always and she's pretty concerned about him she thinks he doesn't look like a guy that's enjoying his tennis um, and that's the problem there. And, and it's interesting, after he lost in Miami, he said uh, that he wouldn't prepare for the sunshine swing in the same way again. And I think by that he meant, you know, take a take a five, six-week holiday. He, he had, what, 42 days between matches from Melbourne to, to Indian Wells and he said after his consecutive losses in Indian Wells and Miami that, that that was probably on reflection a mistake but then what does he do after Miami he goes on a he goes on a 10-day holiday to the Dominican Republic um, which you know good luck to him it looked wonderful <laughs> but it's perhaps not the behavior of of a guy that's thinking goodness me I need to sort myself out and get my game in, in gear ahead of ahead of the clay court season. You know, apparently Marion Vida was sort of waiting in Monte Carlo for him to show up and and, and start their training on the clay, um, and he was in the Dominican Republic. So maybe he is having a period where he just is more interested in things off the court. Maybe he's a bit weary at the moment of the relentlessness of the tour, Again, I don't know. I can believe that, really. Yeah. Because I think when you've won everything the way he has, and he's won all these Masters 1000 events too, he is world number one. It would stand to reason to me that you would have a little bit of world weariness about it all at some point, and and the the grind. Um, particularly when what really is going to matter to him from here, what is going to define the latter stages of his career not that he's in them right now but they're, they're you know we don't know how much longer he'll play are going to be the records the the records he doesn't already have because he already has some um and at the moment you have between the australian open and the french open you have what four five months it's a long time to try to stay up and i, I don't know whether i don't know whether he can do that um I still think he will click back into gear at some point, but there's always a question mark. You you, you never know. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't too alarmed by the, the Indian Wells and Miami losses. I, I could certainly put that down to what you just described, the need for a break. As you say, it's, it's the longest gap between Grand Slams. I am surprised that, and look, we're only a week into the clay court season, but I am surprised that he hasn't clicked back yet on the clay um, because he is he's playing to hold all four grand slams simultaneously in this clay court season you know that's what he's ho- hoping this clay court season will will culminate in that is a huge prize i think perhaps if are, if are we doing daniel medvedev a disservice here yeah he was brilliant he was brilliant david and he he out djokovic djokovic his backhand was better than djokovic's and we, we talked about that at the Australian Open, weren't we? How impressed and taken we were with how he came out. And that was Djokovic at his very, very sublime best. And he thought, no, no, I'm I'm still, you know, I'm going to take him on at his own game. And um, 
he took a set off him and and at the time given Djokovic's form that was a pretty impressive result um and this time he went out did exactly the same and he beat Djokovic at his own game it was it was brilliant he's uh, and then he was really disappointing in the next round but Mm. I, I th- against uh, Dusan Lajevic who we should also mention who's uh, another Serbian player who who I've always loved to watch on clay particularly when he's got time to set up his single-handed backhand and he's 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 a, a little bit like Vavrinka in a way I think he's um, a lot like Vavrinka j- yeah uh, I, I do really enjoy watching him and and I think that that's a fantastic achievement to get to the final in Monte Carlo but yeah so I, again I didn't see the Medvedev Lajevic match you you felt Medvedev was disappointing backing that up backing that Djokovic win up he was 5-1 up in the first set David uh, Medvedev was against Lajevic and pretty much capitulated um from that point uh Lajevic deserved any idea why I mean, I think he was feeling it a bit physically in the uh, Djokovic match. He was having a lot of he was having uh, leg rubs in every change of ends, um, which incidentally, Greg Rosetsky thinks the rule should be changed and that shouldn't be allowed because it's plain and simple a lack of conditioning. Um, he, I don't think he received any of that treatment in the Lajevic match, but it's certainly plausible that he would have been um, feeling the effects, uh, and he is a. I mean, two more physically different tennis players you couldn't quite imagine, really. I mean, you've got um, Medvedev, who, if he stands sideways, you could easily, you know, be forgiven for missing. <laughs> he is he is a streak of a a streak of a young man, isn't he? And then you've got Dusan Lajevic, who has this barrel-chested, strong as an ox, Vavrinka-like vibe about him. Uh, and Lajevic deserves a lot of credit because he did not panic. He's 5-1 down in the biggest match of his life and he he stayed with him. He didn't panic, he waited for his opportunity and when it came he took it. But oh, Medvedev ought to be having some sleepless nights about it, I think. Mm. And actually, just coming back as a final point to Fabio Fanini, who ended up beating uh, Lajevic in the final it's not like this is just totally out of the blue in as much as we have seen this level of form before from him let's not forget he's beaten Nadal multiple times he, he's the I think one of the only players who's ever beaten him from two sets to love down at the US Open um, he, he managed to beat Andy Murray in the Davis Cup in in Naples I, I was courtside for that match and to to watch Murray just be bereft and impotent against a player it was so unusual there was nothing he could do he was trying his hardest he was gritting his teeth but Fanini was just wiping the floor with him he did the same in Rome a couple of years later he's had these moments hasn't he and you just wonder whether I don't know whether maturity can come to somebody or he's a dad now he's he's married to the lovely Flavia Panetta maybe she and her presence is going to have an impact on him it would be great to see Fanini just package his game a little more often and, and give us chance to see him at his very best when it absolutely matters most. I would have thought that the French Open is his best chance of, of, of producing it, um, where the big servers can't hurt him, you know, that sort of thing. But, oh dear, well, he's a joy to watch when he's on. I, I agree with you, you can't airbrush and forget about his behaviour because 
I think some of his behaviour, particularly towards officials, female officials in particular, I remember Eva Azdaraki, I think it was, is probably some of the worst I've ever seen, certainly in my time on the tour. Um, And yet I I also love watching him play too. So... It's one of those. Let's hope he's he's finished behaving badly for good now. Um, but yeah, we will watch with interest. Yeah, we will. We want moments to become spells, don't we? Yeah, we do. Right. Okay, Catherine. Well, uh, I'm off to enjoy the rest of my bank holiday. Uh, Barcelona and Stuttgart. The WTA event in Stuttgart and the ATP event in Barcelona are, uh, are back to get underway today. Uh, six of the world's top seven in Stuttgart, five of the world's top eight in Barcelona. Uh, massive prize money disparity between the two, which absolutely shocked me when I saw it earlier today. We'll talk about that in next week's show. I know you want to have a chat as well about the interviews with Janka Tivsarevic and Andy Roddick that we've had on uh, over the last couple of weeks since we were in each other's company. And there is a lot to digest and to conclude upon um so we'll do that in next week's show when we're back together um but for now catherine i think you should go and uh, just put your feet up having uh, got through monte carlo which sounded like it was good fun it was good fun yeah i quite enjoyed a bit of fresh blood in a master's final i know it's not unheard of but you know it was a nice nice variety is the spice of life it is it is so there we are. We've been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, executive produced by TennisBalls.com with our mascot, Rio with a Y. We will be back together next week here on the Tennis Podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure you tell your friends about the show. If you've enjoyed it, tell someone else, and maybe we'll be able to get more and more people listening to us. That's what we want, and we hope you're enjoying it too. See you then. 